Praise God. I want your anointing, your touch. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Rain down on us until there is an overflowing. Amen. I'm thankful to be in the house of the Lord today. It is a good day. Turn to your neighbor and tell them today is a good day. It is a good day. Hallelujah. To be in the house of the Lord. Amen. This is a long Memorial Day weekend, and so some are traveling out of town, and some are traveling into town. So we want to show ourselves friendly this morning, so let's stand together, move around and greet somebody and tell them it's very, very good to see you with us in the house of God today. Praise God. You make your way back to your seat. This morning we are going to sing a hymn. We're going to sing a hymn written by Reverend W.L. Hopper. Even when we don't see it, praise God. We thank you for that and we pray that you would continue to work and we pray that you would allow us to put our faith and confidence in what we may not see and what we may not feel. Praise God. We know that you're continuing to do great things, and so we stand resolute and confident in that, and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. you can be seated this morning. There are different ways of understanding 
God, and there is anthropomorphic language that is given throughout the Scripture, especially in the Old Testament. Jesus Christ himself becomes the fulfillment of much of that language. You see terminology in the Old Testament like the ear of God. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro, the nostrils of God. You hear language like that, that is anthropomorphic language, which is language to help us understand a God that you cannot see. John said, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten, which is Christ, is the only visual manifestation that you are going to see of God. Otherwise, he comes in different forms or different fashions. He is a spirit. And so there are different ways of understanding God. Here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus kneels in the sand and starts writing with his finger in the sand. The Pharisees bring an accusation against a woman, and God has the authority that they do not realize until he starts writing in the sand. Nobody knows what he was writing, if he was writing anything. Seems to be that there was some attention to detail, and as they were peering on God working in the sand and they looking at that, that something must have been triggered in their consciousness for them to recognize that he is speaking with authority. And he's speaking in a way that far supersedes any of their accusations. And so they leave one by one from the eldest to the youngest because there is a God that is at work. And as he is writing, there is authority that is attached to what he is doing. I want to tell you in the house of God today that God is bigger than any accusation. Amen. He's bigger than any failure. This woman was caught in the midst of failure, but when God is at work, things change. And so if you're in the house of God here today and you're wondering about some situations in your life, can I tell you, why don't you put your confidence and faith in a God that is at work? Praise God. He's a great God that is bigger than the accusation. Praise God. He's bigger than the failure. He's bigger than the disappointment. God is well able to do above and beyond what you could even think or ask. And I'm thankful today that in the house of God, he's in this place. We came to worship him. We came to praise him. And he didn't just leave us alone, but he's in the midst of us when we worship him. Hallelujah. God is at work. God is at work. I want you to say that with me today. God is at work. Everything around us may array itself to tell us, no, he's not available. He's not at work. It doesn't look like anything is happening. But I want to come today in faith and declare to you that something is happening. Hallelujah. God is at work. It's not based on what I see, what I feel, but it's based upon my confidence in a God that is at work. Hallelujah. He has authority. He has ability. He's able to do what no other could do. Some could have knelt down and written into the sand and it would have meant absolutely nothing. But when Jesus kneels down and starts writing in the sand, brother, you can understand and know that there is a righteous judge that looks at everything and knows our uprisings and our downfalls. And when we're in his hands, we're in the best place that we could ever be. 
He writes. He writes. It's a general notion of power and influence. Fingers represent the source of deliberate action. And as such, the activity of the fingers reflect the character of the owner. The phrase, the finger of God, is often used in Scripture to indicate God's authority. There are fingers that there's writing in many cases. In one particular case, there is a writing on the wall. King Darius brings out all of the utensils as he has plundered the temple. And he has removed the children of Israel, the choicest of them. They left some. But the majority of them go to captivity in Babylon. They're in Babylonian captivity. And they are there. And he has brought all the utensils out of the temple of God. At one particular celebration, he decides to bring them out so that they can drink and use those utensils and vessels. And when they do, there is a finger that starts writing on the wall. And it gives a phrase and a saying that means that you are found in the balances and you're found lacking or you're found wanting. And so there's descriptions. Jesus is writing in the sand. In that particular case, we could assume that it was God writing on the wall. These instances mean that there is an an authority that is attached to the finger that is doing the writing. I don't want to be on the wrong side of the writing of God. I want to be on the right side of what God writes about me. Praise God. I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't measure up, but I don't want a judgment on the wall against me. I want God's face to shine upon me. I want his focus to be upon me. I want his mercy to be upon me. Anybody thankful that the mercy of God didn't consume you, take you out and take you down? Judgment begins in the house of God. You've got opportunity today to lift up your hands and say, God, I want you to wash me and cleanse me. I want to walk away renewed and restored. The finger of God is mentioned specifically in three verses. Indirectly in two that we've mentioned here tonight, it's his signature or it's his trademark. It's his authority. It's his work. It's his power. It's a picturesque expression of God at work. Amen. Praise God. The finger of God needs to be at work in your life. Hallelujah. The authority of God needs to be at work in your life. The power of God needs to be at work in your life. His signature needs to be at work in your life. Amen. What does it actually do? Well, in the three specific references in the scripture, There are three specific things that it does. In the book of Exodus, when the children of Israel find themselves in bondage and slavery, there are several plagues that take place. It starts with the plagues of blood and then frogs. And in those two instances, the Egyptian magicians could do the same thing. But after the lice... There was a statement that was made in Exodus chapter 8 and verse number 19. The magician said unto Pharaoh, This 
is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord hath said. The magicians recognized that they had power up to a certain point. Somebody sometimes every once in a while asks me about witchcraft, Ouija boards, all kinds of tonics, concoctions, putting pins in, in, in dolls, voodoo. Is there anything to that? Of course there is. Absolutely there is. There is definitely power in the occult. But as we have seen in this passage of Scripture, it can only reach to a certain point. The magicians could do everything up to a certain point. And there is power in what they do, but it only operates up to a certain point. A magician can't wash you and cleanse you from your sins. May cast a curse on you and a spell on you, but their power ends at a certain point. Brother David... Beharano, I want you to know that when God is at work, he can save your soul. I don't care what magician that is in the world. There's no way they can do that. But he can pluck you out of miry clay. He can take you from bondage of your past. And he can give you a hope. And you can stand today with your hands uplifted because you know that there is a God that is greater Praise God. He's a God that is greater. They said this is the finger of God. This is why in Exodus chapter 7 and verse number 5, God said the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth mine hand unto Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. I'm bringing them out of bondage and I am taking them to a promised land. I'm bringing them out of difficulty and I'm going to provide a place of peace and a place of rest. And I'm going to do it with the finger of God. You know, I think, I think there's a little, just it's me, I know, it's just me. But I think there's a little bit of trash talking when God says, with my finger, I'm going to do it. Because he wants the enemy to know my full capacity and power is much, much greater than anything that the world could ever do. With my little finger, I'm going to take these people out of Egyptian bondage. I'm going to bring them out with a strong hand. I'm going to direct them into another place. I'm preaching to somebody. You need to watch the finger of God and the direction that he's pointing you. He's taking you out of dysfunction and he's bringing you Come on, somebody, clap your hands unto the Lord. God has done great things for each and every one of you. He's taken you a different direction than where you were going. Amen. So the finger of God is, <laughs> is pointing in a direction, a direction. Pharaoh, I want you to know that I am God. 
amen, and all your little magicians and all of your practices and all the occult and all your sun worship and moon worship and astrology and everything that goes with it. I want you to see what the finger of God is going to do with these people who I have called out. I'm taking them out of here and I'm pointing them in a different direction. I am taking them somewhere. That's what the finger of God does. It points you from where you are to better things. God never points you the wrong direction. He always points you in the right direction. If you're in the house of God today, God is, is here to tell you and help you and inspire you. You're going the right direction. Just watch the finger of God take you into places that you never imagined for yourself, that you could never conjure up in your own mind. You were at the bottom, and God pulled you out of that deep, deep well, that miry pit, and he's established you, and he's blessed you, and his favor has been upon you. Oh, don't sit there look at me like I've lost my mind. You're a blessed people because of the finger of God that is directing you in the right place. There's a pointing towards something. It's bringing you out. It's going somewhere. It's God's desire. It's a move from bondage to promise. It's from Egypt to Canaan. Praise God. There's some places you got to leave. There's some places you got to walk away from. Hallelujah. Some geographical locations and, and some symbolic locations. Praise God. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 2. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them hath the light shined. We once walked in darkness, but we're not walking in darkness anymore because the finger of God pointed us to the direction of light. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've been in bondage long enough. You've been directed by slave driver long enough and when you begin that march you're going to find God pointing you to a heavenly land he's pointing you in the right direction and if he's doing that in your life you should show forth the praises of him that called you out of that mess and pointed you in a better direction we should show forth praises of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Come on, somebody, lift up your hands and let's show some praise here in the house of God today. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. He points you in the right direction. That's one occurrence. The second one is found in Exodus chapter 31, verse 18. And the scripture said, and he gave unto Moses when he had made an end of communing with him upon Mount Sinai, two tables of testimony, tables of stone, written with the finger of God. In the first instance, God is pointing you in a direction. In this particular instance, 
How do you imagine this? Imagine this. How do you, some people view the, the law as something that is negative, and certainly for us who are on the other side of the equation in grace, we look at the law as being a schoolmaster. Paul said it was a schoolmaster looking back. But stop and think about it from the perspective of Moses bringing all those people out of Egypt. The numbers vary from millions to 600,000, somewhere in there. That's a lot of people. And you're bringing them out, and, and there has to be some kind of structure. Amen. You can imagine the pressure that is upon Moses to try to be it. Once, once you're out, that's one thing. You've got to inspire people in their mind to say, I, I don't want to stay here. Where are we going? And, and, and God is directing us, and so we can see his power, and he's pointing us in a particular direction. But when you get out there, you've got to have some protocol, some structure. You, got, you have to have some organization, some kind of hierarchy. Things have to work together. And, and Moses is faced with all of that. God brings him up into the mountain and provides to him the commandments, the commandments. And I just I want to say this right here. Those commandments, those Ten Commandments, that Decalogue, is one of the greatest gifts ever given to humanity and society historically, from Jew to Gentile. Amen. In those ten laws, there's a lot in those ten laws that we should be very, very thankful about. And there is a, a movement and a trend in our society today to tear down all of that if, if somehow as if it is, it is racist, it was founded upon, our country was founded upon, uh, roots of racism, and so we need to tear the whole thing down and start all over. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that there is a, there's a motivation to, for that, and, and the motivation for that is not a good motivation. There's people behind the scenes pulling those strings for their own benefit. Our country was founded on Judeo-Christian values, and the reason why we are blessed, I feel personally, the reason why we are blessed to the status of one of the greatest countries in the entire world. And I've been to a lot of countries and sometimes I've come home and I've wanted to kiss the ground. Amen. That I got off the plane, the tarmac. We live in a great place and it is because there's some values of morality instilled within the very fabric of our founding. We haven't been perfect, but at least those values have given us the ability to confront some of those things. We've had wars over some of those things that we have grappled with and, and we've tried to root out. And it's because there is a foundation of strength that comes from the commandments of God. That is God writing with his finger on the tablets as he gives them to Moses. You know what that represents? That represents divine revelation. I want a direction. I want to know where I'm going. But that law to those people was a gift because if we're ever going to get you out of Egypt into a promised land, there's got to be something that we unite around. And the law is the gift. It's the divine revelation. God's not going to point you in a direction without giving you a revelation on where you are going. God didn't pull you out of a world and then just say, praise God, pulled you out of the world without giving you a revelation of why he did and where he 
he's taking you and what you're supposed to be doing when you're going in that direction. God called you out of darkness into his marvelous light and gave you a revelation. He didn't just pull me out of sin, but he placed me in the kingdom of God to be used of God, to be inspired of God, to be motivated, to impact a world around me. I've got a revelation. I've got an understanding of where God is taking me. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I've got a revelation. There's something better that I'm something better there's a road map that's given with the accompanying power to understand where and how to get there hallelujah some of you are sitting on uh, I was going to say pews but you're sitting on chairs and some of you that are in the cheap seats they're not the most comfortable chairs praise God and God has done things in your life Right? He's given to you a road map to somewhere, and he's also giving you the power to understand how to get to the destination. Amen. I've, I'm, I'm, I'm in the church, and God's doing great things in my life, but, but where am I going? You're going in the right direction. Just keep going. God's going to bring revelation, revelation to you. You, you may be sitting there... <laughs> You may be sitting there today saying, how could God ever use my experience because my experience looks inferior? Well, what he does is he takes the inferiority complex that you've got, the circumstances in your life and all of that inferior complex stuff, and he takes that and he points you in a direction and then he does something amazing. He takes the very things that, that is a failure and inferior in your life and he uses it so you can minister to somebody else to let them know I've been where you are. God's pointing you in another direction. I'm, I'm, I'm just a little farther along in the road but I've been there and done that and God starts using you for his glory and for his kingdom. Don't you dare just sit on a church chair or a church pew and think that I'm done and I've arrived. You have not arrived until you are at your final destination, which is heaven. I don't care how young you are or how old you are. God wants to use you in the kingdom of God. And he's going to give you revelation to help you understand the direction that you are going. We find this in the scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. Amen. You look at Hebrews chapter number 11, that faith chapter, that hall of fame of faith. God pointed them in the direction, every single one of them, every single. And they were not perfect, by the way. They were flawed individuals. But every single one of them were pointed in a direction and they were given revelation to understand. In some cases, in some cases, they never even saw the end point. As a matter of fact, Every single one of them that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 never received the completion 
of the direction that they were being pointed and a revelation, they saw it down the road, but they themselves never received it. And the writer of Hebrews tells us that, and he goes through that long list. He says, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. It's a direction, a revelation. By faith, Enoch was translated. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear, and he prepared an ark to save his house. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out not knowing where he was going. God pointed him in a direction. And he gave him a revelation and said, I want you to go to a land. You're going to receive it as inheritance. I'm going to make your descendants as the stars of the sky and the sands of the seashore. And Abraham didn't realize that, didn't see that for a long time. But he had a confidence and a faith and a revelation that God is doing something in my life. Even if I don't see it, God is working. Amen. That's the message here this morning. I may not see it, but God is working working. He's pointing me in the direction. I'm going to have revelation and faith to understand he knows what he's doing and he's working. Years passed by, but Abraham still hung on to that promise. I'm in the right place. I'm doing the right thing. I'm going the right direction. I'm wandering around this, this land called Canaan, but God told me, God promised to me, you keep hanging on to the promise of God. Through faith, Sarah received strength. My. And then at the end of this chapter, I want you to hear this because they were pointed in a direction and they had a revelation, but they never saw the end result of what they were doing. We need to take great value from that because we live in a world that's so instant. If it doesn't happen tomorrow, well, then I'm just... I'm going to struggle in my faith. I'm going to give up. I didn't see it didn't happen in my three-day fast. It didn't happen in the three days, and so I'm checking out to something else. We need to recognize that the heroes of the faith, God directed them, gave them revelation, and they hung on to it with a tenacity even when they didn't receive what they were looking for. What were they looking for? Well, the writer said, what more can I say? For the time would fail to tell of, of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. All these prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others had trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. Moreover, of bonds and imprisonment, they were stoned. They were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. They had a faith and a revelation, but they never received the promise. 
What were they looking for? They were looking for a day in which the Holy Ghost would be poured out upon all flesh. And they had a direction and they had a revelation and they died without receiving it. How much... How much more should we who have received the promise, we should be connected to that long line of faith and say, I'm going to trust God. Doesn't matter what kind of hell, high water I go through, what kind of whirlwind, hurricane, tornado, I'm going to live for God and anchor my walk with God based on a confidence in him, a revelation in him. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? saying in the house of God today. You keep living for God. You keep trusting God. God is working. There's a link between the Old Testament and Jesus, the fullness of the Godhead in the New Testament. If he writes on tablets of stone, it's the same God that writes in the sand, there is a connection and a link. And it's fascinating that John is the one that really emphasizes it. John is the one that has on Jesus' lips saying, I am, so very often. Because John is wanting to make the connection that Jesus speaking to his audiences, I am the bread, I am the shepherd, I am the way, the truth, the life, I am, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. John wants people to know, his readers to know in that first century, toward the latter part of that first century, that the Jesus that you serve is the same God that speaks to Moses from the burning bush. The same Jesus that kneels down and writes in the sand is the same God that writes on tablets of stone. Praise the Lord. You couldn't see him back there, but you could see him in the visions of, of his body, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Philip said, show us the Father. We want to see him. Jesus said, have I been so long time with you, and you have not seen the Father? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. There's a connection between Jesus writing in the sand and God writing on the tablets of stone. Praise God. I'm thankful that I know who he is. Amen. He is the only begotten son, full of grace and truth. There is one that is greater than most. Moses that has arrived in the form of Jesus Christ. Not only is he able to heal, but he's also able to forgive sins. And he tells the woman, go and sin no more. Who has the power and the ability to do that? The same God that can write on the tablets of stone and give the Decalogue to the children of Israel and then lead them out of Egypt is the same God that is manifested in the flesh that comes to to seek and to save those that are lost, to bring salvation to a world. And he writes in the sand with authority. Amen. And the last finger of God, there's, there's three specific ones, tablets of stone. The Egyptians, the work of God among the Egyptians, the tablets of stone. And then the third one, is found in Luke chapter 11 and verse 14. God points us in a direction. God gives us revelation to understand where we're going. And I like this one. 
And he also gives us the power to get there. Everyone say power. <laughs> he points you to where you're going. He gives you revelation on why you're going that way. And he gives you power, Brother Gary. He gives you power to get to your destination. Hey, I'm not living for God with something that is second class. You need to put that baloney behind you and say, I'm a child of God. I'm not taking a back seat to anybody. I am not intimidated by anyone because God's power and his ability is operating in my life. As a matter of fact, you need to stand to your feet this morning and say, I am thankful for the spirit of God that gives me the power to be an overcomer. I'm going to make it because I'm a child of God. And he doesn't leave me, nor does he forsake me, but he gives me the power to be become what he's called me to be. Amen. You can be seated. The musicians come this morning. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus was casting out a devil and it was dumb. And it came to pass when the devil was gone out, the dumb spake and people wondered. But some of them said, he casteth out devils through Beelzebub, the chief of the devils. And others tempting him sought of him a sign from heaven. But he, this is speaking of Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said unto them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falleth. If Satan also be divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? Because you say that I cast out devils through Beelzebub. And if I by Beelzebub cast out devils, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore shall they be your judges. But if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace and his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted. Jesus was saying, the devils, he's had power over death and the grave. Amen. But there's one that is stronger than the devil, and I'm coming to take the keys of death, hell, and the grave. Praise God. God is at work among the devils. God is at work among the devils, and his declaration is, I'm greater than any spirit that is an antichrist spirit. I'm more powerful than any opposition. I'm more powerful than the grave. The grave is not going to hold you or contain you. There's more power in my ability. I'm going to make you more than a conqueror. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God is taking you places. God is giving you revelation on where you're going and he's giving you power to get where he has called you. He's a God that is at work. Amen. And in conclusion here this morning, his ability always, always, it always look forward. It always looks forward. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind 
and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He's pointing me toward a high calling, giving me revelation to understand why he called me. He's giving me power to accomplish the calling of God in my life. God, God is at work. It always looks forward. Amen. Let us not get into the complaint of the children of Israel that wanted to look back. They wanted to look back into Egypt, wanting to look back, to reach back, to go back, being pulled back. The scouts in the promised land could not see forward because of what pulled them back. Lot's wife looked back at Sodom and Gomorrah. Praise God. But as we stand in the house of God today, Jesus said, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Amen. Follow the activity of God. Follow the influence of God. Amen. Praise God. Follow the promise of God. He's pointing you in the right place. He's providing you the revelation on where you're going, and he gives you the power and the ability to get there. I think we need to lift our hands today in conclusion of this service. We need to pray and ask God, even if I don't see you at work, God, I want you to understand today as I'm making a declaration in my life that my faith is in you and my confidence is in you. And I'm going to trust you even when I don't see it because I know you're still at work. You're still at work. Come on, as they begin to sing this morning, you're still at work.